This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of femoral head fracture from the trauma section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Femoral head fractures are rare traumatic injuries that are usually associated with hip dislocations. Diagnosis can be made by pelvis-slash-hip radiographs, but frequently requires CT scan for surgical planning. Treatment may be non-operative or operative, depending on the location of the fracture and degree of fracture displacement. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, the incidence of femoral head fractures are rare. However, they are increasing because of more motor vehicle accidents and better resuscitation. Moving on to etiology, with respect to pathophysiology, the mechanism of injury for a femoral head fracture is impaction, avulsion, or shear forces that are involved in the setting of an unrestrained passenger in a motor vehicle accident, that is the classic knee against dashboard, falls from a height, sports injury, and industrial accidents. As far as the pathoanatomy, the location and size of the fracture fragment and degree of comminution depend on the position of the hip at the time of dislocation. 5-15% to 15% of posterior hip dislocations are associated with the femoral head fracture because of contact between the femoral head and the posterior rim of the acetabulum. Anterior hip dislocations are associated with impaction-slash-indentation fractures of the femoral head. Moving on to associated conditions with femoral head fractures, the ones to know include femoral neck fractures, acetabular fractures, sciatic nerve neuropraxia, femoral head avascular necrosis, and ipsilateral knee ligamentous injury, usually secondary to a knee versus dashboard injury. Now, let's go over some relevant anatomy. As far as blood supply, the medial femoral circumflex artery, or the MFCA, is the main blood supply to the weight-bearing portion of the femoral head. The medial femoral circumflex artery originates from the profunda femoris. The other portion of the blood supply is the artery to the ligamentum teres, which is the lesser blood supply, making up 10-15% to 15% of the blood supply to the femoral head. The artery to the ligamentum teres can come from the obturator artery or the medial femoral circumflex artery, and it supplies the perifoveal area. Now, let's go over the classification of femoral head fractures, and the one to know is the Pipkin classification, which is divided into four types. Type 1 corresponds to a fracture below the fovea slash ligamentum, which is small, and does not involve the weight-bearing portion of the femoral head. Type 2 corresponds to a fracture above the fovea slash ligamentum, which is larger, and involves the weight-bearing portion of the femoral head. Type 3 corresponds to a type 1 or type 2 with an associated femoral neck fracture, and this type has a high incidence of avascular necrosis. Finally, type 4 corresponds to a type 1 or type 2 with an associated acetabular fracture, which is usually a posterior wall fracture. Now, let's talk about the presentation of femoral head fractures. These patients will typically have a history of a frontal impact motor vehicle accident with the knee striking a dashboard or a fall from a height. Symptoms typically include localized hip pain, unable to bear weight, and other symptoms that are associated with the impact. On physical exam, inspection may reveal a shortened limb. However, with large acetabular wall fractures, there may be little to no rotational asymmetry seen. Inspection may also reveal posterior dislocation in which the limb is flexed, adducted, and internally rotated. Anterior dislocation will reveal a limb that is flexed, abducted, and externally rotated. Finally, inspection may reveal ligamentous instability in the ipsilateral knee. On neurovascular exam, these patients may have signs of sciatic nerve injury. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP pelvis and a hip series, both pre-reduction and post-reduction. Jude views should be obtained for assessment of associated acetabular fractures, and inlet and outlet views should be obtained for an associated pelvic ring injury. 
A CT scan is indicated for post-reduction to evaluate for loose bodies as well as the presence size of fracture fragments. Findings on CT scan include ephemeral head fracture, where you will be able to appreciate the size, location, and presence or absence of comminution, the plane of the femoral head fracture, intraarticular fragments, posterior pelvic ring injury, impaction, and the presence or absence of an acetabular fracture. Now let's talk about the treatment of femoral head fractures, which can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes hip reduction, which is indicated for acute dislocations, and make sure to reduce a hip dislocation within six hours. As far as outcomes, there is 5 to 40% incidence of femoral head osteonecrosis, and there is an increased risk with increased time to reduction. Non-operative management can also include touchdown weight-bearing for four to six weeks and restricting adduction and internal rotation. This is indicated for Pipkin 1 fractures, non-displaced Pipkin 2 fractures with less than one millimeter of step-off, no interposed fragments, and a stable hip joint. As far as outcomes, there's satisfactory results if there's less than one millimeter of step-off, however, serial radiographs are required. Development of post-traumatic arthritis is based on joint incongruity and initial cartilage damage. Operative options include ORIF, arthroplasty, or arthroscopy. ORIF is indicated for a Pipkin 2 with a greater than 1 millimeter step-off. It's also indicated if performing removal of loose bodies in the joint, if there's an associated neck or acetabular fracture in the setting of a Pipkin 3 and Pipkin 4, polytrauma, an irreducible fracture dislocation, and a pure Pipkin 4 in which treatment is dictated by characteristics of the acetabular fracture. Keep in mind that small posterior wall fragments can be treated non-surgically and superfoveal fractures can be treated through an anterior approach. In terms of outcomes of ORIF, outcomes mimic those of their associated injuries, such as hip dislocations and femoral neck fractures. Poor outcomes are associated with the use of a posterior or Cochrane-Langenbach approach or the use of 3.0 millimeter cannulated screws with washers. Moving on to arthroplasty, this is indicated for Pipkin 1, displaced Pipkin 2, Pipkin 3, and Pipkin 4 in older patients. It's also indicated for fractures that are significantly displaced, osteoporotic, or comminuted. In terms of outcomes of arthroplasty, this is best reserved for older patients. And keep in mind there is a higher dislocation risk than total hip arthroplasty performed for osteoarthritis. Finally, moving on to arthroscopy, this is indicated for the removal of loose bodies. In terms of outcomes, this is dependent on the ability to remove incarcerated fragments and the initial cartilage damage. Now let's go over some of these management techniques in a bit more detail. Starting with hip reduction, as far as the technique, adequate sedation and muscular relaxation are vital. The technique involves traction in line with the thigh, the extremity should be slightly adducted, and then counterforce on the pelvis. Remember that forceful reduction should be avoided, and be sure to obtain a post-reduction CT. Moving on to touchdown weight-bearing for four to six weeks and restricting adduction and internal rotation, be sure to perform serial radiographs to document a maintained reduction. Now moving on to an ORIF of the femoral head for a Pipkin 1, 2, and 3. The approach can be an anterior Smith-Peterson approach or an anterolateral Watson-Jones approach. The anterior Smith-Peterson approach utilizes the internervous plane between the superior gluteal and femoral nerves. This approach will have improved visualization, reduced surgical time, and improved fracture reduction as a femoral head fracture is commonly anteromedial. This approach will also have a lower incidence of avascular necrosis, less blood loss. However, there will be a higher rate of functionally significant heterotopic ossification compared to the posterior approach. An anterolateral or Watson-Jones approach utilizes the intermuscular plane between the tensor fascia lata and the gluteus medius, both innervated by the superior gluteal nerve. As far as exposure, a periacetabular capsulotomy should be done to preserve blood supply to the femoral head. 
Fixation will involve two or more 2.7mm or 3.5mm lag screws. Be sure to countersink the heads of the screws to avoid screw head prominence. You may also use headless compression screws or bioabsorbable screws. Postoperatively, rehabilitation will involve mobilization with immediate early range of motion. And as far as weight bearing, be sure to delay weight bearing for six to eight weeks. And be sure to stress strengthening of the quadriceps and abductors. Radiograph should be done after six months to evaluate for avascular necrosis and osteoarthritis. Moving on to ORIF of the femoral head and acetabulum in a Pipkin 4, the approach can be a posterior or Coker-Langenbach approach with a digastric osteotomy or an anterior Smith-Peterson approach. In a posterior Coker-Langenbach approach with a digastric osteotomy, a trochanteric osteotomy allows access to both the femoral head fracture and posterior wall acetabular fracture. This also preserves the medial circumflex artery supply to the femoral head and utilizes the plane created by splitting of the gluteus maximus as there is no true internervous plane. In an anterior Smith-Peterson approach for the fixation of superfoveal fractures, small posterior wall fractures may not need to be addressed surgically. Finally, moving on to arthroplasty, as far as approach, you can use any hip approach for arthroplasty. However, a posterior Corker-Langenbach approach provides the best visualization of the acetabular posterior wall fracture. In terms of pros and cons, arthroplasty allows immediate postoperative mobilization and weight bearing. However, a hemiarthroplasty can be utilized if there is no acetabular fracture present. Finally, let's end this review session talking about some complications after femoral head fracture. We'll go over heterotopic ossification, avascular necrosis, sciatic nerve neuropraxia, degenerative joint disease, and decreased internal rotation. Starting with heterotopic ossification, the overall incidence is 6 to 64%. And remember that the anterior approach has increased heterotopic ossification compared with the posterior approach. Treatment is to administer radiation therapy if there is concern for heterotopic ossification especially if there's an associated head injury. Moving on to avascular necrosis, the incidence is 0 to 23%. The risk is greater with delayed reduction of the dislocated hip, and remember that an anterior approach is not associated with an increased avascular necrosis risk. Moving on to sciatic nerve neuropraxia, the incidence is 10 to 23%. This is usually the perineal division of the sciatic nerve, and there is spontaneous recovery of function in 60 to 70% of patients. Degenerative joint disease has an incidence of 8 to 75% in these patients and is due to joint incongruity or initial cartilage damage. Finally, decreased internal rotation may not be clinically problematic or cause disability. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 25-year-old male runs into a tree while going 45 miles per hour on his motorcycle. He presents to your level 1 trauma hospital. AP pelvis radiograph reveals a left hip dislocation with a large femoral head fracture extending into the weight-bearing zone of the hip joint. A CT scan of the pelvis reveals an anteriorly dislocated hip with a large femoral head fracture without associated acetabulum fractures. Which of the following is true with respect to treatment for this patient? And the choices are 1. Heterotopic ossification is uncommon. 2. Mini fragment screws are sufficient for fracture fixation. 3. Coker-Langenbach is the optimal surgical approach for this injury. 4. Fragment excision leads to improved outcomes compared to open reduction and internal fixation. And 5. A 2mm fragment step-off is considered the cutoff for non-surgical management. The correct answer to this question is 2. Mini fragment screws are sufficient for fracture fixation. So this patient has sustained a Pipkin II femoral head fracture with associated anterior hip dislocation. 
An open reduction with internal fixation of the femoral head fragments with direct visualization is indicated to restore stability and congruity of the hip joint. These fractures can be treated with mini fragment screws with excellent reduction and purchase without risks of extensive chondral injury or screw prominence. To quickly review, femoral head fractures are uncommon injuries usually associated with hip dislocations. They are classified using the Pipkin classification. While resection of small femoral head fracture fragments can be considered in a Pipkin 1 as sufficient and satisfactory treatment, the fragment in this patient is large and displaced and thus should be treated with RIF for optimal results. Regarding the surgical approach, advocates for the direct anterior approach state direct access to the anterior portion of the femoral head with decreased overall complication rates. Other approaches, including surgical hip dislocation and Cocker-Langenbeck, are also useful depending on associated injuries, like acetabulum fractures, etc., as well as location of the head fragment. RIF of these fractures can be performed with the use of countersunk mini-fragment screws, headless screws, and even bioabsorbable pins to avoid prominence or extensive chondral injury. Marisek et al. authored a review article on femoral head fractures. They described these injuries as being generally associated with hip dislocations and require prompt reduction. They noted that the surgical fixation of the femoral head is generally done through the direct anterior approach or via a surgical hip dislocation depending on associated injuries. The authors also discussed the importance of using mini-frag screws to avoid hardware prominence. They also noted that while heterotopic ossification is a common finding, after the anterior approach for these injuries, it is rarely proven to be symptomatic. Giannoudis et al. reviewed femoral head fractures focusing on management, complications, and clinical results. They reported on 453 femoral head fractures in 450 patients. Regarding Pipkin 1s, they noted that fragment excision gave better results compared to ORIF with a p-value of 0.07, while Pipkin 2s showed improved outcomes with ORIF. Regarding complications, they noted the following rates. Wound infection in 3%, sciatic nerve palsy in 4%, avascular necrosis in 11.9%, post-traumatic osteoarthritis in 20%, and heterotopic ossification in 16.8%. They also noted that the anterior approach was associated with promising long-term functional results and a lower incidence of major complication rates. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, heterotopic ossification is a common complication noted after surgical fixation of femoral neck fractures, approximately 15 to 20%. Answer 3, the direct anterior or Smith-Peterson approach is the preferred approach for the management of femoral head fractures that allows direct visualization of the fracture fragments. Answer 4, for Pipkin 2 femoral head fractures, ORIF has improved outcomes compared to excision. For Pipkin 1, fragment excision leads to improved outcomes compared to ORIF. And finally, answer 5, 1 mm, not 2 mm, is generally considered the cutoff for non-operative management of femoral head fractures. This is in contrary to other articular fractures, where 2 mm is considered the general cutoff. And moving on to the final question. A patient's pre-reduction AP pelvis shows a posterior wall fracture that is apparent. A post-reduction AP pelvis shows an infrafoveal femoral head fracture that is apparent. An axial CT further characterizes the posterior wall fracture. An obturator oblique shows femoral head dislocation and posterior wall fracture. When treating the pathology described, which of the following is necessary to preserve the blood supply to the femoral head? And the choices are 1. Dissection of the gluteal musculature off the iliac crest. 2. Ligation of the ascending branches of the lateral femoral circumflex artery. 3. Greater trochanteric osteotomy. 4. Identification and detachment of the piriformis tendon. And 5. Supine positioning. The correct answer to this question is 3. Greater trochanteric osteotomy. 
So the imaging described is of a femoral head fracture with an associated acetabular fracture, otherwise known as a Pipkin 4. Both the posterior wall fracture and the femoral head fracture can be addressed through a surgical dislocation via a greater trochanteric osteotomy. To quickly review, a Pipkin 4 femoral head fracture, that is with an associated acetabular fracture, are somewhat problematic in that the femoral head fracture is usually anterior, while the acetabular fracture usually involves the posterior wall. A Cochrane-Langenbach approach gives good access to the posterior wall, but limited access to the articular surface, and femoral head avascular necrosis, or AVN, is a concern. A Smith-Peterson approach provides good access to the femoral head, but not to the posterior wall. Combined approaches significantly increase the amount of surgical dissection. Surgical dislocation with a trochanteric flip osteotomy provides access to the femoral head and posterior wall, while preserving the blood supply to the femoral head. Solberg et al. retrospectively reviewed 12 patients with Pipkin 4 injuries treated via a trochanteric flip osteotomy. All patients healed their acetabular fractures. 11 of 12 patients healed their femoral head fractures, and one patient, or 8.3%, developed osteonecrosis. Henley et al. likewise treated 12 patients with Pipkin 4 injuries through a trochanteric flip osteotomy. 2 of 12 patients, or 16.7%, developed osteonecrosis. The remaining 10 patients, or 83.3%, had good or excellent results. Heterotopic ossification occurred in 5 patients, causing significant range of motion loss in 4 of these. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, the extended iliofemoral approach exposes the entire innominate bone, which is not necessary to treat this injury. Answer 2, the Smith-Peterson anterior approach provides access to the anterior femoral head, but not the posterior wall of the acetabulum. Answer 4, detachment of the short external rotators is not necessary for surgical dislocation. And finally, answer 5, surgical dislocation with a greater trochanteric osteotomy is described in the lateral position. Supine positioning is not necessary. That's all for this review about femoral head fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.